Hello friends, welcome to or welcome back to a Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I am in conversation with the head of marketing at Saw Running, Robert Wilson. We talk about running culture, where it's going, the impact that the work that he's done with the Night of the 10,000s with the wider team and his running club has had, especially in the UK running scene and other running events. We talk about his running, things that he's adapted and changed as he's got older and more experienced. If anyone knows Rob, you'll know about Rob and running cross country. And we also cover a number of topics regarding running and life. It's a fun conversation. Okay, before we get into the conversation, I've got something for you. To win one classic race saw vest, all you need to do is listen to this clip of Rob and then you need to tell me what he says next. It's consistency, it's get out the door. Once you know the answer, you can do one of two things. You can either post a story or put something in a post where you reference the podcast and the answer. Everyone that answers the question correctly, I'll put your name in a pot and I'll pick out the winner at random. In terms of dates, you have up until May 19th to enter the competition. Any entries received after that won't count. So that's May 19th, 2023. This is the first of a series of interviews with people associated with Saw. So across the race team, across the company and some other runners. So stay tuned. I've got some exciting conversations coming up following this episode with Rob. I also want to say a big thank you to Saw who are supporting this episode, to the patrons who all make this possible. But with that being said, let's head to the conversation with Rob. Hi Rob, welcome to A Runner's Life Podcast. How are you doing? Hello Marcus. Yeah, very well, thanks. How about you? Yeah, doing well, thank you. It's great to talk to you on the podcast. We've known each other for a little while now. And the question I always ask people to get the ball rolling is, what does a runner's life mean to you? I knew this one was going to come up, so I had a little think about it. I think it is simply having the internal recognition that going out there and putting one foot um, after the other, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, sometimes long, sometimes short, but just that that is a thing to you and is important to you. Why is it important to you to get out there and move? I don't think there's any um, any singular reason. I think running just becomes, um, I guess, something of a constant in in your life and it, it's the you know without being overly um grand about it or too philosophical it's kind of a glue that holds lots of parts of, of one's life together and it gives you um that kind of rhythm and running gives you gives you highs lows gives you satisfaction gives you cravings for more it connects you to other people it connects you to places it connects you to to nature it challenges you it invigorates um so it's, it's a host of those those reasons I, I guess i guess running is is probably is a, a primal thing to a certain extent and yeah I, I think it's maybe a way that we you know we we keep in touch with just natural being and you know, experiencing the world and movement and and all those kind of things uh, in a in a modern world yeah when i hear you say that it's on the one hand running has to be enjoyable there's got to be some sort of challenge to it, but there's also the competitive side which we'll we'll get into so it's really nice to hear about just the reconnecting with yourself through running through nature aspect as well yeah i think some people will have that view of you so it's really nice to hear that other side and can you talk a little bit about some of your earliest running memories yeah absolutely so i've i'm, I'm coming up to a point where i was thinking about this the other day i've come up to a point where i've been a runner or, or self-identified as a, as a runner for 50% of my life. Um, so I'm in my mid thirties now. 
Um, and I started running pretty much at the age of 18, maybe sort of 17 and a half, something like that. And I was, I was that classic case of done, done sort of sports at school, team sports, organized sports, football, things like that. And and then you, you get to that, that point where they, they sort of taper off. I was, you know, I was getting, a, you know, more becoming an adult essentially. And I was looking for something to do to, scratch an exercise itch for, for want of a, a better way of putting it and I lived right next to a park I lived in Ealing in West London I lived right, right next to a park and I was also really fortunate that both of my parents were runners and, and run with the local club so I was aware of running as a, as a thing and as a, you know as something people did and, and as that could be organized and it was races and so on and so forth um, but I just started getting out in the park and doing that classic thing that a lot of new runners do and especially new young male runners which is run as hard and fast as you can for a set distance I think that was probably a large lap of the park probably a couple of miles something like that run as fast as you possibly can and go back every day and try and do it a little bit faster for as long as possible until you realize that um uh it's not possible and that if you were to continue on that trajectory you'd win the olympics and then began to just explore running in other ways i guess so yeah it started with that uh getting out there and running a couple of miles absolutely eyeballs out as hard as i can and then taking a step back and thinking oh i quite enjoy this it's um it's something i can do on my own it's something i can do in my own time it doesn't require team or organization in in quite the same way as things like football I yeah I had a chat with my parents and started realising that there was a, a club nearby or, or knew there was a club nearby in Southland Middlesex and started dipping my toe in the water with cross country and 5k races and, and club events and from there just, just progressed essentially. Just going back, do you think there's a part of you that was quite competitive as a child growing up? Not necessarily. I don't, I don't think... I think sort of an average level of competitiveness. I don't think I was the most competitive child or, not, or the least competitive child. I am, um, and I think it's probably the case for the majority of people. Competition is a thing. Quite like it. Quite enjoy it at times, but it it has a place. I'm not someone who would want to be competitive every single day or or in every area of my life. I, I really enjoy the competition, but it's it's definitely not the only thing I enjoy about running. It's it's become very cliche to say you know enjoy the process. But I do just enjoy the process, enjoy simply putting one foot in front of the other, doing it at different paces, doing it in different places, doing it with people, sometimes say, sometimes long, sometimes short, sometimes on your own, sometimes in a group. So whilst the competitive nature is really, really important and I don't want to underplay that, it's definitely not the only thing for me. You know, I, I say I'm not a not competitive person, but I don't I don't wake up and think, you know, I've got to beat everyone or win everything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers no that's a fair point because i think sometimes when you listen to some runners they have the kind of narrative of like i had to win everything as a kid or as an adult like everything's a competition so it's quite refreshing to know that competition is important but there's a time and place and it doesn't mean they override how you interact with the world and how you communicate with other people there's a time and place for that yeah exactly i think that's right i think it's all about time and place i'd like to think that when i am you know, like when, when we are racing, um, that in that moment, I'm highly competitive. And I, I suppose to a certain extent, um, an awareness of that and the satisfaction that that brings drives a lot of one's training or, or efforts outside of that. But it's, yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm a, I'm a win at all costs kind of guy. And I, and I kind of think most people aren't because I think we've, we've, we've spoken about this before, Marcus, it's, Actually, what we're trying to do is is be the best runner we can and get as much satisfaction from 
hit competition or personal bests or, or whatever it might be, but also whilst just being, you know, having other touch points in our life that, that give us satisfaction as well. And, you know, being a good friend, being a good partner, being a good son, things like that. I think that's really refreshing to hear just that looking at running as one part of the whole, not being the, the whole of everything. So I really want to revisit just your, your running and the uh, take a deep dive into cross country, but I'm just going to part that for one moment. And I want to go back to one of my first memories of meeting you. This was back in around 2017. It's for the Soil Winter Warmer at the Lee Valley Centre. They're hosting some short distance races, including the mile. That's around about the time you joined the company. But since then, you've gone on to become head of marketing. Can you talk about, I guess, if you look back at present times and even back then, how the culture of the brand has evolved since those early days? Yeah, I, I remember it well. Um, up at Lee Valley there, I, I um, didn't envy you guys. Um, yeah, having a race so hard indoors on those tight bends. Um, yeah, it's... Well, it, it's it's changed a lot and I think um, like um, a lot of you know, young businesses or small businesses you spend the I think I think it's fair to say that you spend the first couple of years just really figuring out who you are what your position is what your offer is how you can be relevant how you can serve your customers and your consumers um, so I think actually what happened was those first couple of years were actually you know almost like live r&d live kind of okay where where can we bring some value what can our proposition be how do customers engage with us um how can we be relevant in the running space how can we bring something that's new and refreshing so the first couple of years you're almost um it's, it's almost trial and error it's putting products out trying marketing trying events trying community stuff and just just understanding your own your own place within that so i'd say actually what people now see as the the sort of brand, I think it really started to um, gain pace and and become much more cohesive. And, and we really understood, say, that our proposition was high function, high performance, running apparel that met a certain aesthetic sensibilities. Around, I, I guess, sort of the late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen, um, that's when we I think we really crystallised that what we could do different was bring really elite level high performance kit to every runner and to do that in a way that we hope and we we aim to be relevant to runners of all stripes so as much as you're a maybe a someone that's super committed super competitive sub elite or elite marathon runner right the way through to somebody that maybe runs a couple of times a week just as part of their broader exercise or, or, or health uh, regime that we can be a brand for you and, and, and that talks to you and, and talks to your own sensibilities around running and kit and performance that makes a lot of sense and you know starting off there was less people at the brand and it's, it's grown into where it is today and it's really interesting to hear how the there was so many experiments many experiments whilst doing it you're saying it looks like an r&d practice of trying different things and see what worked, what didn't work. And that's quite challenging because on one hand, you're trying to shoot at a moving target, which is just the consumers. And, and you, always, you, you might have an idea of what you think they want, but it's just still trying it and, and making it work, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think it's also quite important. I think, um, well, hopefully hopefully, I do this to a certain extent. I think it's important um, in, well, in my role and for, for any of us at, at SOAR to be aware... Um, as much as possible that running is a, a thing that people 
do and i don't like to use the word consume but they, they, they do and they enjoy um, and matters them in many many different ways there's no one neatly defined type of runner and i think what's a really op- uh, interesting opportunity is to say to be to be relevant to very different types of runners whilst remaining true to to yourself um to ourselves as a brand so having that you know um consistency and who we are and what we're about and what our values are but meaning that we can we can maintain those so say it's about performance it's about functionality it's about modernism it's about um our own aesthetic sensibilities but whilst supporting and you know providing kit and servicing the needs of you know of runners say from it could be from somebody who's a super high mileage ultra runner taking on the toughest of of terrain to um to somebody that that literally runs once or twice a week 5k maybe something like that and and gets a coffee but just wants to feel great and look great and have nice kit whilst they're doing it this focusing on that point about looking at the the people that you work with and obviously the the other runners that you would like to work with and looking broadly say looking at running culture especially in the uk we're not going to talk international because obviously that's different points you could go into where do you think that running culture is going and how do you think that saw running are developing their own voice within that conversation? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think, I mean, to, to, to take a few steps back, I'd say we're kind of, we're, we're at what feels like a, um, you know, uh, or we're definitely at a, a running boom period and it's not the first running boom and I'm sure it won't be the last, but it definitely feels like there was, there was something that, that went on, you know, into, in the, the mid to late 20 teens and was then exacerbated by, by COVID, which repopularized running, you know, at scale, which was brilliant. And I think brought lots of new runners um, or new people to running, or perhaps more specifically, didn't necessarily bring them to running, but made them um, comfortable with identifying as being a runner and made them realise that running wasn't just something they did on their own, but there was communities, content, culture, um, and touch points of the sport that were very easy for them um, to get involved with and engage with. And and, and part of that is just simply modernization and, and technology and the ease at which we can connect with one another and connect with content. So there's definitely an, an, an era of running boom. But then I also think something that's that's really clear to me is, is and I say this this feels like a shift that's happened in, in my time running, but I'm, but I'm sure other generations of runners have experienced the same thing in their own um, eras, is that it, feel, it really feels like running as a sport and as a culture and as a community in the broadest sense or all the sub communities has modernized um, at a, a rate sort of uh, at a faster rate than society at large in, in recent years. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, it wasn't that long ago and, you know, you were around, it wasn't that long ago where attention to, to kit, and to shoes was really, really pretty limited, pretty basic, and lots of runners. And you know, there are still people like like this out there, and and that's cool, that's great. Um, but lots of runners almost saw um, an interest in kit or or tech as um, sort of crass um, and not for them. Um, whereas, be it wearable technology and watches and GPS, which I think had a big impact in in terms of shifting the mindset of of everyday 
you know, amateur runners like us um, and, and giving them an awareness of, of performance and tech to shoes and obviously the carbon shoe revolution, but not just carbon shoes, shoes in general, were, you know, a infinitely better, lighter, more comfortable, more responsive, better designed, more aesthetically pleasing than they used to be. And then, you know, importantly, or importantly in a sore context, apparel and fabrication and design and construction practices and understanding of what really works and how to layer, what to wear for race day, what to wear to take on different conditions, how what you wear impacts your performance and, and your comfort and your enjoyment. All these things have changed and have become much more um front and center of um you know runners um interpretation and understanding of of the sport and then also it just feels to me as if the the content that we consume as runners the community touch points we have as runners and the events that we have as runners have really just become so much better in the last five to ten years the opportunities have become so much more abundant it's been so much more easier to um, find out about those things and to learn about races and to learn about training and to learn about running groups and to understand what other runners are doing and to do so in a way that's you know some of the content out there is really really great it's really tasteful it's really high quality and without sounding like a an old timer i mean back in my day like when I started running when I was 18, it was bloody hard to find much information about training. It was bloody hard um, to know about um, races and to find out results and to understand what's going around you. You really had to work hard at it. It was a very analog process. In short, modernization has changed. Um, or, or modernization, the internet, the social media age has has changed running and for a lot of ways in the better because I think it's it's allowed so many more people to to get so much deeper into running and allow running to be much more of a thing for them and to to enjoy it to its fuller or to a fuller extent and going back to what you just said there just with the ideas of giving people more choice especially with kit and you talk about information i remember years ago when i was looking at ultra marathons and there was hardly any books on Amazon. There's like one book by someone who self-published it. I bought, I bought it. It was terrible. And But now you can get anything you want for it pretty much if you Google it or you could ask someone. It, it's out there. And just going back to that point we talked about before is about more people coming to the sport. I guess as people have started to express themselves more, I guess that also ties into some of the kit that you guys make as well because it allows people to express different sides of their personalities rather than just the kind of traditional colors whatever that may be yeah definitely i think running has i mean like a lot of subcultures running has become or is i don't think it's become i think it has always been this way a way for people to express themselves and express their identity and that's been what well, is it's it's been fantastic for saw but also i think saw has been fantastic for runners that way inclined because it's it's allowed them to you know, style themselves or give themselves um that, that identity that that sense of personal identity and that sense of meaning and purpose and this is who i am and this is what i am about allows them to say something about themselves that they're they're proud to say and they've they thought about and, and they've considered um and i think um you know brands like us at saw have helped people people do that it's given runners who think that way and who for whom the the subculture the 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 style of, of running is a thing a way to express that in a way that they hadn't been able to do so before and I think to do so 
in a more technical way, in a, in a way that they feel more 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 comfortable in and, and a way they feel more yeah attached to. Yeah, that makes sense. But you're also doing other work in regards to trying to expand running culture. You do a lot of work with Night of the 10,000s. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so currently the work I do with Night of the 10,000 meter PBs is um, with my Highgate Harry's hat um, on my personal side. So so saw worked with the event um, in particular in the early days. Um, it's now it's now got um, on as a... Um, as an exclusive uh, headline sponsor, but night of the 10,000 meet PBs for, for, well, for firstly, for those that don't know about the event, check it out, get on the socials, get on the website and, and, and come on down on, on May the 20th to Parliament Hill, Hampstead. It's completely free and it will, I promise you, it will change your perception of what, well, certainly what 10,000 meter track running can be, but what athletics events in general can be. So I'm part of the sort of the volunteer base and the organizational base helping out Ben Pochi, the race director, and like the 10,000 meter PPs. And I think what a lot of people probably don't realize because the event has gotten so big and it's of such high quality and caliber across the piece is that it's a 100% volunteer, volunteer-led um, and built event. So it depends on the, the goodwill and the efforts of hundreds of people from members of, of my club, Highgate Harriers, to folk in the the, um, the, the wider local running community, um, to the goodwill of, of people in the neighbourhood, to people at Hampstead Heath, to the, the volunteer um, track officials. Um, so it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real true genuine grassroots event that's just built by people who have a love for love for running and a realization that um it's a great sport and that the, the competitive and the, the performance nature of it is fantastic but we can build so much more around it it's you know running for a long time was i don't want to stay say stuck in the dark age but a bit primitive in in the way um races and events were were marketed and, and were experienced beyond the very literal watching of the the sport performance we still have i need to i need to check but i think it's seven ten thousand meter races across the afternoon um into the evening they're of an elite standard and i know this year we've got a chap coming over trying to run um sub 27 minutes and we've got um we've got um steph 12 who's the the, the track record holder returning so we've got those at the absolute um pinnacle of the sport globally but then we've also got beer tents food vendors djs bridges fans in lane three a bridge onto the infield activations on the infield circus acts performances you name it it's just that it's a carnival a bonanza a fiesta whatever you want to say and it's yeah say it's it's totally different to certainly any running event that existed five years ago i don't want to say it's totally different to any running event that exists now because there have been it has now paved the way for a new breed of running events and there are events that are copycats wrong events that have have taken what night of the 10k is done and realized blindly we can make our events great and appealing for fans of the sport but just everyday folk to come along and be engaged um, and be excited so we've now got lots of events globally that i, I guess pay homage to, to night of the 10ks and, and that approach to staging um, track racing i think what you're doing in that space is amazing and like you said it's been replicated across the world but as a running fan i'm keen to go and if you look wider say if at athletic events you know the attendance typically is lower than people would like to to see so these kind of events do help but if you're playing devil's advocate do you think that 
these events are attracting new blood into the sport, new fans of the sport, because I would say that a lot of people that go to these events are club runners or are invested, heavily invested within the sport. So they care about it much more. I'd agree with you. I think that's a totally fair point. I think the vast majority of people at Night at 10Ks are, you know, are people that if they're not a club runner, then they're probably aware of the club world or they've got friends in the club world. They're, they're pretty closely connected. You know, I, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think it would be, um, it'd be naive to think that one event on its own is doing that much to bring thousands of new fans of the sport or, or, or to create new fans of the sport. I, I totally agree with that. But I also think it would be very hard to expect one volunteer-led or driven event to be able to do so. I think that's a slightly more existential question for the for the sport and I, I totally agree and I I think I wonder in part if you know if, if running is a sport or athletics uh, in the broader sense is a sport which makes most sense to those that also do it so I think most of us that go and watch running and that could be night to 10ks it could be our friends in a park run or a local 10k or it could even be the Olympics I think most of those people probably will have done a race and will have had some understanding of, of running themselves. Whereas if you flip that to say, I don't know, cricket or football, and I appreciate most people probably have played cricket or football to a certain extent, but they're probably not live cricketers or footballers quite in the same way as people are runners. So I think it is, it's a real challenge for the sport. So how can you create fans of the sport that aren't just participants, that are real fans of it, that understand who the athletes are, they're engaged with um, the season and, and the narratives that can build and develop and understand the times and understand the tactics and understand what's happening. I think it's really, really difficult. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the short answer to um, the short answer to the question is, is I agree. I think what a lot of these events are doing is just actually making it better um, and encouraging more existing fans to attend rather than creating, you know, new pathways for, um, you know, to, to bring the sport to the, the broader public. That said, I, I don't think there's no people that, that come to Night of the 10Ks who aren't, you know, who, who are the general public. I know locally it, it definitely piques interest and, and people come along and people walk off the heath and see what's going on. But yeah, I don't think they're the majority by, by any stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think it's a wider discussion, but I still think by having the event, it does change the conversation and does encourage other people to look into it. So I th I'd rather have it than not have it, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. And, and also, maybe that's fine. Um, you know, maybe actually, maybe running isn't a sport that makes sense for the, you know, to have tens of millions of TV views. Maybe, maybe that just isn't going to be a thing. I, I don't know. Um, but that is possible. It is possible that it is a little bit niche and it is always going to just be a hardcore of people that, that do it. And, you know, to, to watch it, you have to be doing it. Maybe I, I don't really know. But it feels that generally we're quite a long way away from the general public having a, a really, you know, I think if the Inga Britsons walked across Piccadilly Circus, I don't, I don't think they'd be stopped, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Just focusing on, I've seen Night of 10,000s hosted by Highgate Harriers. You joined Highgate Harriers back in 2014 and you've been the men's cross-country captain for nine years. Can you talk a little bit about focusing on cross-country running? What have been the best and what have been the most challenging experiences that you've had over those nine years plus? Well, I, I feel, I feel like every cross country race is challenging to a certain extent. I think, um, well, I think the the thing that I really enjoy about cross country, and I know we've spoken about this, is 
there's something that I find refreshing about the complete removal of splits and pacing and times and um, sort of numerical PBs as a focus, which when you're on the road and when you're on the track, it's impossible to, to get away from the clock, if you like. Whereas cross country is you know, is a complete um, return to racing in its purest sense. Mano, mano, whoever crosses the line first wins. And then you just work back from that. So for me, what I find most enjoyable about it is just is just that element of pure racing and thinking about nothing else but just trying to get one place further up the field or defending your place from people coming um, coming from from behind. I think the other element of cross country that's that I think if if you're new to the sport or maybe haven't tried it in the past, which would be easy to very easy to to not know about on on stand is the team element, and I think that's what's super refreshing is people often don't think of running as a team sport because it. Well, it isn't in the traditional sense or the, the sense that most people would understand a team sport to be. But when you go to a cross-country race, and, and for well, for us, it's both the, the Met League as our, our local league and then onto the sort of regional and national level competitions, you're racing as part of a team. And for most people, the, the team competition is, is way more important than their individual position. So what's been the, the, the highlight for me at Highgate is that we've, over the last over the last well like before I joined but, but certainly over the last nine nine years or so we've we've really established a, a a large core of guys who turn up week in week out and race as part of a collective and race as part of um, or race for one another and try and win the local leagues and try and then take that success on to a regional level but knowing you're not just running for yourself and it, it definitely makes you ask a bit more of yourself when you know there's other people relying on you when you know your scoring position is is counting towards a team tally and it also just it just helps bring more people into it it, it brings more people into the competition it keep it into the conversation rather and it it keeps more people relevant so so for me the highlight has just been being a part of that golden era for Highgate and as I say I've been super lucky to to be at a, a, a club and a position where there are you know tens you know up to we could have up to 50 men at a, a Met League race just turning up pair of spikes putting on a vest and running around the field a couple of times as hard as they can all for a, a team score so that's that just generally across across the board has been the highlight and with that there's been some 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 fantastic days where we've you know this year for example where we we won the the South of England Championships by just two points against Tombridge AC, who are great rivals of ours. But you know, every every it was a six to score competition, and every single one of our six men had a, we ran out of our skins, um, ran really really hard, and it you know it came down to the wire. Two points is it's almost as close as it, it could conceivably be, and I think it's easy for people to to not realise quite how nail biting and how thrilling and how intricate cross country racing can be. So so that team element has been has been fantastic and really important to me and I implore anyone who, who doesn't um, or hasn't yet raced cross country to, to go and give it a go because um, it will will bring you something different to road racing and track racing and, and I think really complement it and in terms of the the challenge the hardest bit I think it's maintaining that consistency and maintaining maintaining focus amongst the, the club and the team and the group of guys and making sure that you know, we don't rest on our laurels that, you know, when you know, winter comes by and people start getting injured and sick and ill and having other commitments in life, still 
being able to to have that critical mass of guys that turn up week in week out supporting each other bringing in fresh blood encouraging new people to join the club people come people go um but maintaining and keeping that consistency of of, of attendance and, and and team strength has, has definitely been the biggest challenge but one that we've um well we've, we've managed to um meet so far I think it's really interesting you talk about the team aspect of running because that doesn't always get spoken about especially in running when you talk about races it's generally x person going for x time or trying to compete and I think it's really nice to hear about that team element can you talk a little bit more about how you foster not just you personally but how the team fosters that culture of keeping competitive keeping each other accountable yeah I think I think there's a there's a few elements. I think one of the the key things is actually building a bit of friendly competitive culture within ourselves. So wanting to beat one another. So benchmarking against each other. And you know, are you getting closer to someone, further away from someone? Who's won one week? Who's won the the next? So having a bit of friendly internal team culture uh, competition rather has, has has been really really important. But I think the the most important thing for us has been really identifying and um, setting out clear collective targets at the start of every season. So leaving no room for confusion, leaving no room for um, going off track, just saying, okay, start of the season. These are the seven races that we really, really care about. These are the dates. These are where they're going to happen. These are the distances. Everything else, if you want to do them, that's great. But these are the team ones. These are the days where we all want to be. And building uh, a narrative internally amongst ourselves in the build up to that. So using the WhatsApp groups, using Strava, using social media amongst ourselves to, to build those things up and, and to create excitement and to create shared, shared meaning and shared purpose around them. So for us, that's the five local Met League races that are all super important. So there's a free line whip on those. Get, get along to those, be at those. We know what dates they're going to be. We know how far they're going to be. Um, we know what we've got to do. And then the, the the South of England championships and the national championships and saying, this is what we want to do this winter. It's just seven races. Um, let's work back from that and let's build our Saturday training sessions or Tuesday, Tuesday training sessions and our socials and our, you know, our, our, our Mickey taking out of each other all around those, those dates. So having a clear focus and, I think that's not, you know, that's not particularly groundbreaking because I think most runners probably do something similar on an individual level. So you might say, okay, this year I'm doing a spring marathon and an autumn marathon, and then I'm going to do some five Ks in the summer and you map them out, but just doing that mapping on a collective level and making sure that everyone in the team, in the club is bought in and understands these are the targets. I think that's the key thing because runners, and I can speak for myself, can be notoriously selfish about and set about their training and their races. So I think to have a group of people that collectively work together, I think is a is a really good thing. Um, and I think sometimes it's it's nice to not get stuck in your own way of, of doing things. Not saying that's right or wrong, but it's nice to hear that about the collective as opposed to just the individual. Yeah. Hundred percent, and I think uh, I'm sure this is the case for for most clubs out there. I think what does happen when you join a, a club and a competitive club is you have a, a realignment or an increase essentially on what you believe is possible because you go and train and race um, with other people, and you realise, hang on, that they're just they're just skin and bones like me. They're not, you know, they're not the world's most talented runner. They just turn up, do the hard work, focus, progress, 
and certainly happened for me when I, when I joined Highgate and I was with lots of people at similar stage in, in, in life and um, with similar approaches to running. It was like, hang on, I can be a bit, a little bit better than I thought I could be if I just make these few tweaks and changes and, and have this consistency. Um, and, I, and I think that's the case for most people. It's, it's quite refreshing really that actually you could probably do a bit, you could probably be a bit quicker and, or just enjoy your running a bit more than you ever realised. Yeah, absolutely. I'm moving away from the team, but moving to you now. Looking at your cross-country training, can you think of, in recent times, any practices that you've had to adapt or change? Because as runners, we always have to change things up based on where we are as opposed to where we used to be. Yeah, I think something that's happened well in the, the last year or so for me is I've started running a little bit less. And now I want to be a bit careful about how I position this because i think you know for most runners most of the time doing a bit more running is is a good thing but i i was picking up a few injuries and a few few niggles and i had had a couple of more stress fractures so in my feet so more than a niggle something that that puts you off running for a long time and and deserves due care and attention and i haven't started running loads less but just maybe bringing my volume down 15 percent but importantly not not just bringing the running volume down in isolation i've added more cross training so and again this is something that's i guess ties into some of the stuff we, we spoke about earlier about the modern way i think uh, i turbo train a lot now but turbo training on the bike is way different to to what it used to be now with direct drive trainers and things like swift it's so much easier to do it's much more enjoyable it's uh much more measurable it's altogether just a a totally different experience to to what it used to be five, 10 years ago. So I've said that one big change for me last year, 18 months is replacing some of my running sessions or what would have been runs and pretty much just what would have been just plodding time on feet, putting stress through the body with time on the bike. So getting, you know, the same aerobic or in some cases, even greater aerobic benefit without the, the, the stress and the pounding, hopefully looking after my muscles, my bones a little bit more. Um, And also maybe bringing a bit of, bit of diversity to the the type of training maybe bringing some more strength into my legs so it's not for everyone but it's something that's i think over the last year or so has really worked for me it's it's kept me stronger it's kept me fitter it's allowed me to do a little bit more overall training whilst doing a bit bit less running that's really interesting to hear because i think a narrative that you hear sometimes in running and i'm not saying it's like a across the board but you hear in some circles is that you need to do more it's almost like you need to do more running more training more workouts and the older that you get, and I'm not saying you're old by any stretch of the imagination, I feel like I think <laughs> your body feels like it probably sometimes. But it's just like you know that sense of just like you've got to be smart with the work that you do because you've also got to factor in recovery as well. If you're not recovering, yeah, hundred percent, exactly. I think again, without without sounding like an old timer, it is definitely something. As you get a bit older, you start to realise your powers of recovery slow down. But I've also got this, and who knows the science, and I've, I've got this kind of theory that actually I've got a lot of miles on the clock now. I've got a huge aerobic base from from years of you know years of running pretty consistently. Um, I was never someone, I've never run super high mileage, not never bonkers, but also never low. So, you know, pretty bread and butter, like a lot of 60-mile, 100K weeks behind me. And that's not going anywhere. That's, that's there. That, that, that work's been done. So I sometimes think that as you get a bit older as a runner, you can probably get away with a little bit less of that kind of stuff. Cause you've got that pace. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say to anyone do, you know, 
always do less because it isn't for everyone. But I think box clever is the is the is the, is the way I think about it. That makes a lot of sense. And going back to something we spoke about earlier in the conversation about when you start out running, there's not so much information available. But as you progress through running, you learn from other people. There's so many resources of where you can get information now. Can you talk a little bit about what your training philosophy looks like and how it's adapted and changed up to this point? It's it's interesting you mentioned earlier about how few books or, or there were out there on running when you started running. It was it was the same same for me. I remember this would have been, I guess, two thousand and five, and I'd be like Daniel's running formula, maybe Fitzinger and Douglas. Um, I remember reading, skimming free copies of the Law of Running. There wasn't loads out there, and certainly Strava didn't exist. Um, but I think a lot of my training philosophy has been learned. Well, I, a lot of it's been learned the old fashioned way, which is just speaking to experienced runners, people that have run it on the world stage, run at the very highest level, right the way through to bread and butter club runners. So just speaking to people and and getting those experiences. And, I, and I've mentioned this to you in the past, Marcus. I, I think that's a massively underplayed resource out there that there's just so many runners with so much experience that go on a run with them, buy them a coffee, buy them a beer, have a chat. There's there is a gold mine of information out there that you can just get from people that have have been there through the years and it might not be might not be polished it might not be fancy um but there's a lot of information out there so a lot of my philosophy has just come from um say friends and, and peers um and, and contacts in the running world and spending time with them and then i guess the other element has come from you know like you listening to listening to to podcasts and um reading blogs and looking on strava um I think my my training philosophy, well, the the most important thing is consistency. So, you know, if you're going to do anything, you do it regularly. Um, consistency beats everything, trumps everything in running. All the best runners I've ever met, they just get out the door and run. And you know, and so if anyone that's that's new to running or you know wondering about how they can improve, are you consistent? Are you able to regularly just get out the door and, and run and put the miles in? Um, and if if you're doing that you're getting a long way there on its own almost almost regardless of 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 what the details of those runs are just being out there and putting one foot in front of the other week in week out month after month year after year and you know sorry to say it is it is one of those things that can take years and years and years to 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 reach or come close to potential i'm i hear more on the the side of um volume and and building up um steady running I, i i guess 80 20 has become um you know, something that's spoken around i guess my my training philosophy is broadly in in line with that where i believe that the majority of your training should be um easy in, in inverted commas of course you know running no no run is easy in the way that um maybe riding a bike could can be easy there is a there's kind of a minimum standard but yeah low low intensity conversational pace just getting the miles in 60 70 minutes lots of runs of that um of that kind of level then um, that final 20%, lots of, um, I guess, what people would call tempo threshold running. Again, it's become very in vogue, but then um, longer, steadier running and then working towards, uh, as you near competition periods or, or focus, just bringing that, um, the quality element, that 20%, just making that more and more specific. So if you're training for a 5K, it's probably starting with, doing some work around half marathon pace and 10k pace um and then supporting that with um you know faster 3k pace or or even fast strides 800 meter pace and then gradually bringing those elements 
closer towards that 5k target pace from each side so taking your longer reps and bringing into speed them up and shorten them or add longer recovery um and lengthening the time at which you, you're doing your faster reps so uh broadly speaking it's all i'm all about consistency i'm all about getting the volume of easy mighty and i think that's the most important thing um and then just supporting that with targeted elements of quality um and that's that's related to your your, your target race and plenty of tempo threshold steadier type running when I first started this podcast, it was almost looking at trying to find what is the secret to running. And as I've right, exactly right speaking to loads of people and speaking to what you just said there is like what I subscribe to exactly. It's just those core basics of those things. And people are like, but surely there must be more. It's like, no, there really isn't. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Like there's so much spoken about running training. And I, I do, I am of the belief and we're probably doing it right now that, it can be, it's something that's so simple and can be so easily overcomplicated where it doesn't need to be. Um, you know, it's consistency, it's get out the door, it's go running. Don't get injured. That's my biggest thing. Don't get injured. Like, number one rule, if you can not get injured and you can keep getting out the door and be running five, six, and for some people, seven days a week, some people twice a day, once you've built up to it, you're going to get better. You, you will improve. Um Go running, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, or often slow, sometimes long, sometimes short. Kind of as simple as that. Range of, range of different terrains. Yeah, don't overthink it. Absolutely. And I think it's going back to what you said as well. It's just having the the core of like what the week looks like or what the year looks like for training. And then also speaking and, and running with other runners and learning from them and seeing whether that works for you or it may not work for you because what works for one person may not work for another person. And it's just about being open to new ideas and adapting as you get older, as your recovery times slow down as to what you can do. It's, a, it's definitely an ongoing process. It's never just like a set thing. And that's life, isn't it really? It's not a set hundred percent i think there's there's a couple of points there that are interesting one is um one is uh that um a lot of training literature or training plans or templates are um built around um sort of fixed routine or fixed assumptions around seven day weeks about certain work-life patterns and the reality is that ain't how life works um so i think more can be done and this goes back to my point around just speaking to different people benchmarking ideas um learning about real world applicability about how you can take broad principles or general themes and apply them to your personal circumstance i think that's not spoken enough about in running in 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 running training and then the other thing that i think is also you know on the plate is You'll see a lot of plans which will be trained for half marathon, trained for 5K, trained for marathon, and it may be a bit of a 12-week plan or a 16-week plan. But actually, that isn't how a lot of runners experience racing um, and their, their racing uh, more competitive life. And I think we're, we're probably both in, in this camp, which is that over, over uh, any, any one period of time, you might want to race a 5k a cross-country race a half marathon maybe a marathon and if that doesn't fit neatly you can't pigeonhole that that the, the training for each one neatly they, they've got to work together so actually what you're trying to do is spin a few plates and you know have a little bit of different ingredients at different times and, and patch them together in a way that works for you and that, that prepares you for a very unique pattern of of racing that that 
there, there might not have been a book written about or there might not have been a plan written about. Um, yeah, you might want to race a 5K on the Tuesday and a half marathon on the Sunday um, and then recover in two weeks' time to run across country. So actually, what, what training looks like for that might look really different to someone on a very linear 12-week um, marathon training plan. And, and the elements might need to be put together in different quantities or, or, or different dosages and um, with different relations to one another. And that's I guess that's where the trial and error and the benchmarking and the conversations and the, the running running through ideas with different people all, all, all comes out to, to play. That's a really good point because, like you say, things don't fit neatly. Like, for example, me and other people who are going through the same thing. You've got cross-country season in the UK over the winter period, but then you're also training for, say, a spring marathon. So you've done a hard run Saturday afternoon, and then the Sunday you're going to be back up doing either a long run at some sort of marathon effort, easy run, and you're going to be feeling... <laughs> what's happened to your legs from the day before exactly exactly yeah so it's all of that it's all of that sort of stuff you know um right the way through to when you look at a training plan it doesn't it doesn't know what the temperature is where you live it doesn't know what if it's hilly or flat where you live it doesn't know if it's windy it doesn't know if you've had a bad day at work it doesn't know if you um got family commitments it, it, it doesn't know all those things so so tailoring and um you know, applying general principles on an individual level um, is, is is massive. Absolutely. One thing that I wanted to finish the conversation on is talking about race distances. As a general note, you see, especially people coming into the sport, they will start, you know, catch a 5K, what the way up, and they'll jump, say, to a marathon, especially on social media. I feel like there's a big emphasis on marathon running, ultra marathons as the kind of the pinnacle. And I always feel like, the short distance races don't get the same amount of respect, say the mile or even running cross country. I mean, it's a short distance, but it feels like an eternity when you're running it hard. Um, what's your kind of thoughts on like how we can engage people to kind of look at some of the short distances as opposed to thinking that the marathon and beyond is where the pinnacle lies? Well, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a hell of a question. Um, I think you're right. I think we should. I think I actually think that, um, for a lot of people, um, you know, and, and marathon running is great. I, you know, I've run marathons and it's, it's a fantastic thing, a fantastic distance. But for a lot of people, they probably go to a marathon sooner than they ought to if they want to get the most from their running and they want the most longevity in their running. Um, and look, for some people, that's, that's totally fine. But I think there is too much emphasis placed around the marathon. It's placed on too high a, 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 a pedestal. And look, it's great, but it is just a it's just a long distance running race, just like any other distance, um, and it has demands unique to it, um, just like any other distance, as you said. Um, how we you know how we tell that story and and communicate just how rewarding running a fast five k or running a fast ten k um, or yeah you know, a mile eight hundred sprints, whatever it might be. Um, I think it comes and um, it comes down to some of the things we've discussed around building content and narrative and meaning around the events. I think what what marathons have in their um, in their favour is you've got big cities, you've got prestige, you've got landmarks, you've got elite fields, you've got content, you've got media. You have all these things around it. Essentially, we need to do. The same kind of things, maybe scaled down a little bit. Maybe it doesn't need to be quite as grand, but for 5K races, 10K races, half marathons. I think we're starting to see that, you know, the big half in London, for example, there was never a half marathon through central London. Um, 
with all the razzmatazz of a, of, a, of a big event and that feeling that you're part of something that's sizable and relevant and really important until the big half or, or not that I can recall. Um, and you know, some of the, the 5Ks you see in places like Battersea Park. Um, so there are race organisers out there doing it, but I guess it's, I haven't given you a particularly precise answer, but I guess what needs to happen is we need all stakeholders from race organisers to running media, to athletes themselves, to to content creators, to commercial partners, to just start backing smaller races um, and create that, um, you know, create that momentum, create that understanding, tell the stories of why they're important um, and go from there. And look, it, it is happening. Hackney Half is another great example of a of event that really captures locally to us that 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 captures imagination and can you know brings the relevance of half marathon running and what it is to run a half marathon, completing one, running one fast, hitting a certain time. So yeah, I think it's about engaging all stakeholders essentially, and that sounds a bit sort of a bit corporate, a bit cheesy, but I really think that's the case. And and building narrative is is key. You know what big city marathons have done with things like the majors there is there is a, a a thread a narrative that goes through the year there are dates there are seasons you know when things happen there are there are stories and subplots um heartbreak hill in in boston the bridges in new york the mall in london so taking those um pieces of of narrative say getting that thread thinking about the calendar um we, we just need to apply some of those principles to to shorter distance and excite people because as you say um running well i've never run a 1500 meters but running a fast 1500 or a mile is is just as just as much of a thing as running a marathon absolutely i think you're doing that though with you know night of ten thousands, and even i think with one of the lme sorry the london marathon events they've got the westminster mile exactly yeah it was it was i think typically it was in spring but it's, it's changed because obviously what's happened with covid and all the timings to later in the year and i did that last year and that was a fun event to do um so i mean i'd implore people to to, to do that and it gives you the butterflies doing something new and something different yeah, and look it is, it's, it's not like it's not happening and you look at things like um run through um i mentioned it like that didn't exist when i started running so there are race series there are um you know there is it's definitely a park run has been massive in this as well there is definitely a consciousness amongst the running um, public and the general public that there are other race distances now and they can have meaning and they can have sort of a great deal of not just validity but they they can give you a great deal of of satisfaction and, and deliver challenge in a different way so it is happening don't get me wrong it's just probably not reached the same level as the the major city marathons but it's the the seeds have been sown yeah, I agree. There's plenty of choice out there. And I think people uh, are gravitating and moving towards different things as, as events change and adapt. So and that, that's a good thing. Rob, how can people follow you or follow your journey? I mean, follow me on Strava, Robert Wilson, I think. Um, you've seen me running, the jogging and the, the racing on there. Um, and then I'm on I'm on Instagram, um, Robert Wilson 10. Um, I guess we can post that. So yeah. Um, so And if you see me at a race or you see me around London, come and say hello. Well, I'm I'm based not too far from you, Marcus. So yeah, I'm always I'm always running around either Victoria Park if I'm running from work or Hampstead Heath, Finsbury Park, Clisson Park, the Park and Walk if you're in, in London, come and have a jog. Absolutely. I'm definitely gonna take you up on that as well. But it's funny when you say that, it always reminds me of like when we're in cross country in the Met League and you know, you see the teams going past and we've seen each other go past in the in the, in the warm ups and stuff pre and post race as well. 
yeah, the, the slightly the slightly nervous um, angst would <laughs> nod and wave to one another when you know you know what kind of intensity and suffering is, is still to come. Oh my god, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, everyone's in that sort of heightened state of just now. Yeah, I'm calm, but you don't look calm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but Rob, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for being a guest on the Runner's Life podcast. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to be notified of new episodes. If something resonates with you, please let me know and share online. Also, you could do me a massive favor by leaving your review on the podcast platform which you selected as it helps the podcast grow. Your support helps make this podcast possible. If you've got any questions, please do get in touch with me on my Instagram page at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable. Thank you again for sharing your time with me.